You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. How many of you own um, currently a pair of Levi jeans? How many of you have ever owned uh, a pair of Levi jeans? Okay. That probably most of us have. You've heard of Levi Strauss then, just because, I mean, you wear them on your butt for a while. You walked around, you sat on him, like you sat on his name. Like, you, you're familiar with, with him. Uh, you may not be aware, though, of a guy named Jacob Davis. I don't know if you're familiar with Jacob Davis. Probably not. Um, Jacob was um, a guy who ended up pairing up with Levi Strauss to help actually create the brand Levi Jeans. Um, Levi Strauss moved out to San Francisco in, uh, what was it, uh, 1853, if you can believe it. He and his brother were partners, and he was expanding his, the, the company, which just sold kind of dry goods, materials, things like, uh, like pant materials, out, and it would, it would distribute it. So they were doing so well that his brother, who stayed in New York, sent, his, sent Levi out to San Francisco. And uh, as they began kind of working and doing things, he, 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 part of what they created were, were, were pants. It was regular kind of materials. And a lot of the working men would find that as they were working and kind of doing the things they were doing, that a lot of times the pants would rip. They would rip sometimes uh, below the zipper. Sometimes they would rip like in the pockets and different things. And so what Levi created to help kind of offset this problem were these little um, little brackets that he would create, these little divots that would put into the into material that would keep the material from ripping at some of these kind of key places. And as he began doing this, people loved it. Like all these, the mints are loving the thing. They created the denim materials and a variety of things, and that people just loved them. They, they, they couldn't keep them in, um, in stock. And so Levi thought, well, man, this is so popular. I, I need to do something about this because someone else is going to take this idea. And so uh, smart, he tries to figure out how to get a patent. But unfortunately, patents in those days cost $68. I mean, it was ridiculous, you know? And he just couldn't figure out a way to scrape together the $68 that was necessary to come up with this patent. And he had, over time, gotten to know this guy um, that I mentioned, Paul, you know, Jacob, and, or, sorry, Jacob Davis. And so Jacob, uh, he sent a, 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 a letter, uh, which probably took like three years uh, to get from San Francisco uh, to New York to this guy that he had built a relationship with. And he says, hey, like, I think we should go in on this uh, together. And Jacob knew a good idea when he heard one. And so they decided to get in on this together. And so Levi, with this great idea, and Paul, um, uh, Jacob Davis, with this great uh, resources available, came together. And they were able to do something that neither one of them would have been able to accomplish if they had tried to be able to do it on their own. They both filled in the gaps that were necessary. And aren't we so thankful? Levi Strauss, like, we get some great genes today even, you know, as a result of that. And that's a, a wonderful story of how two people came together. They needed each other. They were a great example of how maximum impact uh, can rarely occur uh, alone in isolation, but rather they were able to collaborate together to do something significant. And our history is littered full of these kinds of stories as to where someone was able to do something they would not have been able to do because they invited someone else in on the process, invited someone else in on the journey that they were better together than they would have been if they had been on their own. This is not only you know, a successful business model, but it's also a great example of what God does 
and God wants you know, for us. God stores up valuable resources in each of his churches to be used for the advancement of kingdom's purposes. That's what he does. And so today, we're kind of starting a series called Better Together. And wanted to kind of think through what we're able to accomplish together that we might not be able to accomplish if we were trying to do this thing on our own. And I want us first to kind of think about the idea and concept of kingdom math. You can see that kingdom math is visible throughout the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, you see kingdom math on display. What I mean by that is this. As we read the Bible, it becomes abundantly clear every single time that two is better than one. I mean, the very beginning, when everything was perfect, before sin entered in, before man had engaged in stepping away from the things that God said, before Eve and Adam chose to take a bite of the fruit, of the knowledge of from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, when they were in perfect communion with God, even before there was Eve, God looked at Adam and said, It's not good for man to be alone. On top of that, one of the best leaders that this world's ever known was this guy named Moses. He was a reluctant leader. He spent 40 years in the palace, he believing he had a right and an heir to be able to be all that he'd hoped to be. And then 40 years in the wilderness trying to figure out what it was that he ultimately cared about. And then got out of that last 40, and then that last 40 years used him to do remarkable things, like deliver the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. But Moses needed who? Moses needed Aaron. Moses, during battles, was strengthened by Aaron and by her. They would hold his arms up in the air. And when his arms were up in the air, the Israelites would win in battle. But when his arms would sag in fatigue, they would lose. And so Aaron and her sat on both sides of him and would hold his arms up so that he was able to do that. And as they did that, Israelites won in battle. In Matthew chapter 18, in verse 19, Jesus says this, I tell you all this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. And then in the same chapter, verse 20, it says, where there are two or three gathered together, as my followers, I am there among them. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the example that Jesus gave on sending out his disciples into ministry, into the ministry field. It says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. So ahead of his entrance into cities, he would kind of till the soil by sending not just one, but two people into every one of these towns he was preparing to visit. We can do more together than we can do on our own. Kingdom math says that 1 plus 1 equals 3. 1 plus 1 is not equal 2. Standard arithmetic says 1 plus 1 equals 2. But in the kingdom of God, there's something that is unique that occurs when two people collaborate collectively together to care about something that God wants to do. In other words, kingdom-centered, purposed plurality taps into God's supernatural power. Something begins to occur. Something begins to get ignited. When two people collaborate collectively together, when plurality exists with the same heart and the same mind, moving in the same direction, rowing in the same direction, far more can be accomplished than if one person is in the kayak, the canoe, the rowboat, doing their own thing. See, we cannot account for God's blessing. God blesses how he chooses to bless, but it's always in consistency with his character. 
God's blessing does not flow into predictable places. Have we tried that, right? We've tried to, like, feel, if I do this, then there's going to be naturally a, a blessing that flows out of this. But the reality is that God's blessing doesn't flow in, into predictable places or at predictable paces. We don't always know where or when God is going to do what he chooses to do, but he's God, right? We just sang about our trust in him is unshakable, right? His character is unshakable. We understand who he is. And as a result of that, we allow him to be God. And we want to do what we can do to be honorable to the things that are consistent with his character. So there is something, although it's not predictable about the place or predictable about the pace, God's blessing does something. There's something about working together to build up his kingdom that brings about a special blessing from God. So I want us to take a couple seconds today. I want us to read in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, if you stand together as we turn there and honor the reading of God's word, it's kind of right in the middle. It's in the, it's in the wisdom books of the Bible. Uh, if you're turning there, kind of right in the middle, a little bit to the right. So you have Proverbs, you have Psalms, you have Ecclesiastes, you have Song of Solomon. These are all considered uh, the wisdom books, wisdom literature in the Bible, okay? It's great stuff. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Um, Solomon writes this, and he says, beginning in verse 9, says, Two are better off than one. They can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can, can stand back to back and do what? Conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So, Father, we ask that you would give us insight into what this means for us as individuals and us as a family of missionary servants. Allow for us to consider what it is that you are wanting to do in our life and what you're also wanting to do through our lives to bless each other as a family, and how we can be most effective in keeping first things first, advancing the purposes of the kingdom of God, seeking that first above everything else, knowing that you're going to bring order to all the things that are underneath that pursuit. And so we submit those things underneath your authority today. We submit ourselves, our ambitions, our hopes, our wants, our vision. We don't want ours. We want your vision for our life, and we trust you enough to pursue that vision for our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat, will you? Um, here we read from Solomon, uh, one of the greatest kings, one of the wisest people to ever live. But he makes a point here in this passage that is very, very clear. And I've already said it once today, and that's that two are better than one. In the kingdom, math is different. It doesn't function according to commonality. Uh, in the kingdom, it works through God's spiritual power. Math is different. One plus one equals three. We are stronger together than any single one of us could be apart from each other. We are stronger together than any single one of us could be alone. Say that with me. We are stronger together. Say that. We are stronger together than any one of us could be alone. We are stronger together than any one of us could be alone. That's right. When we function together... As God's designed for us to function as individuals that makes up this family of missionary servants and even collaborate with other families of missionary servants, we're able to accomplish far more together than any one of us could alone. 
We see some values of what it looks like to be able to work together, how we can be better together than we can be on our own. We see this in verse 9. We see that we are better together when trying to succeed. That there is a desire amongst these people that Solomon is talking about, and certainly is true for us as a family of missionary servants, that we want to be successful. We want to succeed. We want to build up the kingdom of God. We have given, we have efforted, we have given time and energy and effort and finances towards accomplishing the things that God has put out in front of us. We've been faithful to do that. We worked hard at accomplishing that very same thing. The reality, though, is that we want to be able to succeed in God's perspective, in his eyes. And what we have done has been a tremendous success. Here he says that you two are better off than one when the goal is clear, and that is that we are to help each other succeed. In verse 10, takes another step further. He says, we are better together when you have fallen down, when you have fallen down. How many of you this week have fallen down, right? How many of you in the last month have fallen down? How many of you have found yourself in a place of weakness, in a place of struggle? You tripped over something you didn't know was there. Or maybe someone came behind you and shoved you down. I remember well, one of the festivities, kind of consistent things we do as a family at Thanksgiving is we play a game of football in the backyard. We have a great time with that. Any of you do that? Have you got a tradition of the backyard football with your family, right? So... We're playing, playing football and having a great time. <laughs> I didn't get permission to tell the story ahead of time. Um, and so we're, uh, we're playing in the backyard, and my dad catches a pass. And before you know it, my wife, who's a phenomenal athlete, is right behind the old man and gives him a little shove in the back. And my dad takes another six steps forward and falls into trees. <laughs> yeah, my dad fell. He was, uh, he was pushed. Luckily, his teammates, not my wife, like myself, were there to come alongside and to help him up. I'm afraid he probably would still be in those trees today if uh, we were not there to help him up from his from his falling. It actually happened like three consecutive years in a row. And so my dad is very scared of my wife, as we all should be, because we all kind of, yes. Um, I'm scared now after telling the story. Um, but the reality is, is that we want to be, the, the, val- the values of being better together is when we do fall. Like life is it's going to happen. There are things that we get medical reports we don't want to get. We find out that we lost a job that we hope to maintain. We find out things we don't know happen and that we didn't know were going to happen, but we know that things are going to happen, right? It's been well said that you're either coming out of a storm, in the middle of a storm, or heading into a storm. Like the reality is, is we need each other. We're better together than any of us could ever be you on our own. And that's very true when we fall, as if someone does fall. When we do fall, there's someone there to help, uh, help out and reach out and help us. Um, in verse 11, we see that we are better together when it's cold. There's times in life, well, it's been, maybe it's because we've fallen. Maybe it's just because we're standing up upright and it just feels like there's nothing there around us to protect. Like we're, we're accessible to the elements. Like wind is cold. Rain is hard. We just find ourselves trying to move forward. We're on this journey. It's kind of like this understanding of what Solomon is describing. Is we're on this journey. We're on this journey. Like we're wanting to succeed. We're wanting to get to the destination. And in this destination, there's going to be times where we're going to fall. It's going to happen. And someone's there to reach out and help out. It's also a time we're on this journey and we're, and we're cold. But two people lying close together are able to stay warm. Many times, and, and correctly, this is applied to marriage, and that's true. I actually read this passage at every single wedding that I, that I, uh, that I officiate. And it's true, but there's a broader application here. If you read the context, it's not talking about marriage. It's not like, that's not the intended. There's multiple applications. And, and this, the, the, the thing that can also be applied here, just straight up, is we're on this journey. And when we're closer together with someone else, there's body heat that allows for us to stay warm too. That you're multiplying because of the proximity 
of, of someone else. Proximity to others you know, keeps, keeps both of us warm. That's for both of us to be able to succeed. When we fall, when we're cold, but also we're better together when we're in a battle. See in verse 12 that we're in a battle. How many of you are aware that we are in a serious spiritual battle? By the way, our, our battle is not against politicians, okay? Maybe easy targets, okay? But if, Ephesians chapter 6 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And believe it or not, all these politicians, they have some blood. Maybe cold, okay? <laughs> but they have some blood, all right? And so they're not, if you can prick it and it bleeds, that's not your enemy. That person at work that seems to kind of constantly get under your, that's not, believe it or not, that is not your battle. It's not your battle. Yeah. Um, your spouse, it's not, it's not your battle. If Britt and I have shared with you several years ago about some of our marital challenges, one of the turning points for me was to realize that she was not my enemy. My battle was, a, was not against flesh and blood. And so now I began to pray, to intercede, to care for her in a way where she was not the problem. You know, in my flesh, there times I felt as if she was the problem. I'm sure she felt the same way about me. But see, our battle is not against flesh and blood. But we are in a battle. You know, that neighbor that constantly blows their leaves onto your property, okay, that's not, that's not, that's not the enemy. Yeah, the person in your HOA that constantly comes to tell you your grass is, that's ah, a quarter of an inch too high. Okay, believe it or not, that is not your enemy. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. We are in a spiritual battle that is more real than anything that we can see. It drives influence and behavior into what we do see. That's why it's so important for us to have spiritualized, for, for God's vision to be our vision. We were just singing that, right? That's, a, that's why it's so significant to have his perspective on things. Because now we get, get to see how things are functioning outside of what is the, the normal, natural. We begin to understand things on a, on a supernatural level. As we are in, we're in a battle. And see, there, there are some attacks that you cannot face on your own. You're never intended to. There are some battles that you cannot fight on your own. You were, you were never intended to. There's some enemies that you cannot defeat on your own. You were, you were never intended to. There's some attitudes you cannot change on your own. You weren't, you weren't intended to. There's some habits that you cannot break on your own. You were, you were never intended to. There's some problems that you cannot solve on your own. You, you were never intended to. There's some needs that you cannot meet on your own. You were never intended to. See, kingdom math looks different. Kingdom math embraces an absence within something that is necessary. Kingdom math makes room for the addition of something significant, knowing it doesn't just bring about an additional principle, but a multiplication principle. It brings about exponential things. Because again, it ushers in God's special blessing. And we don't know what that means as far as how it's fleshed out in a place, and we can't determine its pace. But we do know that it comes. It's very consistent all through Scripture, over and over and over and over again. We read a couple weeks ago in Acts how... Saul was set aside, but so was Barnabas. 
They went out and did ministry together, and then they actually had a, a, a disagreement over the use of John Mark. And so they split. But what happened? Paul took who with him now? He took Silas, and Barnabas took John Mark. There's just a consistent principle of two are better than one. It brings about an exponential difference in and through our ministry and in and through our life. Now, there's just one cautionary thought to this. It's that more isn't always better. That seems contradictory, doesn't it, to all the things that I just said. But see, there needs to be there the right kind of more. There needs to be the right composition of the one that we're choosing to collaborate in life with, or we're choosing to collaborate in ministry with, or we're choosing to do to function together as, as families merge and come together. It needs to be the right kind of more. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's not going to be up on the screen in front of you. I'm getting crazy this morning. I'm just deciding to read this without putting it up on the screen. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 14. It says, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? What Paul is saying here in this passage is that you only team up with people that care about the same things you care about. And when you become a follower of Jesus, there's a natural recomposition that occurs internally within you. Something that occurs inside of you that aligns you, gives you the potential alignment with all other followers of Jesus. There's a rebirth that occurs, right? We now have his blood flowing through our veins. We have a father and we are, we are co-heirs with Christ as a son. And we, we were born into a spiritual family of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we have that commonality. There's something that links there. So as we're looking at teaming up, as we're looking at partnering with another church, the reason why we are choosing to do this is because we have a like-minded effort. We care about these same things. We want to accomplish the same things, and we believe that we're able to do it together better because we each of us bring something unique in a collaborative effort that allows us to tap into this kingdom math principle. Where one plus one does not equal two, but one plus one equals three. If it were one plus one equals two, then we should just keep doing our own thing side by side and cheering each other on. But there's something that occurs when there's a linkage that brings about God's spiritual blessings. As a result of that, there is something that now becomes exponentially better. It multiplies. See, one of the things I want to just repeat to you, and I had a great time, you know, in our villages this week, enjoyed meeting with you guys and kind of hearing your thoughts and perspectives and talking through what this uh, adoption merger would, could, would look like for us and as we're kind of shepherding, kind of moving towards you know, this direction together. One of the things that was clear kind of, you know, in our conversations is it's not, it's not bad, it's just, it's just sad. It's okay for things to be sad and, and not doesn't mean they have to be bad. And if we're journeying through something, there may be a sense of, of struggle. Part of what came up sometimes, there was some regret that came out in the course of conversation. Well, if I had just done this, we might have been a different place this. We're not doing this because of a sense of failure. 
The only reason why we are considering this is we firmly believe that we can advance the purposes of the kingdom of God collectively together better than we could if we were doing this on our own. The only reason why we are thinking, even considering this conversation, the reason why we, myself, and that us as a leadership team agree that this is something we need to do is because we firmly believe that by linking up with Family Church that we can do more together than we could do if we were on our own. So why would we not do that? I shared with you guys about five months ago, I was in my journal, just kind of praying through this. And at this, turn, at this point, it's kind of just internal within me. And I shared with Britt, and we were praying through and kind of thinking about some of this. I remember just thinking as I was writing out in that journal, I was like, hey, if this question kind of pops in my mind as I was just kind of writing my prayers out, and one of the things that popped in my head was, if I can entrust you, trust this church, to someone who's a better leader than I am, and a family with more resources to accomplish a shared vision, why would I not do that? And what's the real reason why? And then am I okay with my reason for why? All my reasons for not doing it were kind of small God and selfish. All the reasons for doing it were big God and faithful. So that is, that is, that is how this moves, moved within my own soul and why I believe this is something that we need to do. Why we need to be flexible, adaptable, to incorporate other people into our boat. And us today, actually, we're joining their boat. To be completely, we're joining their boat in allowing us to be able to go further, faster, and for them to be able to go further, faster because of our alignment. It's not a sense of failure. Discovery is doing some really wonderful things. I mean, today we're going to be praying for Nolan and Laney and launching them out as missionaries. I mean, it's a lot of wonderful things. Well, I talked about how our value of our church isn't so much about our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. And it's just been clear recently of, of all that God is doing and sending out people from our church accomplishing the things that God is wanting to do in and through our lives. It's a wonderful thing. But see, but the advancement of lostness is outpacing our good things. Let's just be honest about that. Like, we have to be willing to do some things other people are unwilling to do if we're going to reach people that other people are unable to reach. We can't just keep doing these same things and expect different results. And so for me, as your pastor, that means I've got to be willing to, to let go of some things so other people are hanging on to stuff. Are you willing to do that? Otherwise, we, st- we, we stay with common arithmetic, and that's just not getting the job done. Would you agree with me in that? Common arithmetic is just not getting the job done. We live right now in the number one area. And this is a list you don't want to be number one on. Okay, Number one area between West Palm and Fort Pierce, the number one area of churchlessness. People have never in their life, ever, gone to church ever aside from a wedding or funeral I kind of had to go but by choice never the lostness of our ears outpacing at a very high level the good things that each of us are doing individually but kingdom math says if we collaborate collectively together there's something exponential on the other side of that so I am willing to let go of that, to embrace that possibility. And tap into kingdom math because that is what has to happen if we're going to turn the spiritual tide in our area. So we have to do. If we're going to reach people, 
at an uncommon pace. Again, which is exactly what our county needs. Then we need to be willing to do some things that other people have been unwilling to do. One of the things that I kept kind of wanting to make sure stayed in front of us is staying open, lights on, isn't what is intended to be part of the Bride of Christ's legacy. Just existing is not consistent with, the, with God's expectations for his bride. Just being able to keep going. That, no, the expectation of everything that falls into good soil is going to produce a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold, Right? There's an expectation of not hoarding your talents, but rather giving them over. It's not about the amount that you receive. It's what you choose to do with it that matters in the parable of the talents, right? And so we have to be willing to give that which we have received, not to be a cul-de-sac of blessing, but rather be an interstate, a conduit of blessing from our neighbors to the nations. This has always been what we've cared about. This is uncommon. What we're talking about doing is increasing in commonality across the U.S. It's becoming something that God is doing in many places, but it's still an uncommon approach. In sharing this with some people, some people are like, I don't know necessarily within our church, but just talking to people, the other pastors in the area who probably need to consider doing the same kind of thing. There were churches that we talked to as kind of the leader of the merger, okay, where they would have kind of become more like us than we would have become like them, and they chose not to do it, and they just continue to die. They have very little kingdom advancement in any, any way, shape, or form. And for them, to some degree, they would say, hey, like, survival is successful. I just don't see that. I don't see that as the purpose of the bride of Christ. There are times when that's the case, and there are seasons when that's the case, but that is not a legacy, a legacy of survival for the bride of Christ. It's an uncommon thing to consider doing what we're doing. But Jesus has always done the uncommon thing. You read the Gospels. Jesus was continually, we've well, heard this, but I say this. And it was just a fulfillment of what was there. It was just the, but the Pharisees were so locked into what they were going to do to what they thought was right that as it turned into time for action, into following, in, into the action of belief, they were unwilling or unable to do that. Because they were stuck in their ways as to what they felt it was supposed to look like. It's what they felt it was supposed to do. We've got to be willing to do some of these things. Jesus always did the best thing to build up the kingdom. That was always what Jesus was about. So if there are special blessings attached to, to, to leaning in and teaming up with others, then why would we not do that? Why would we not individually choose to do that? And why would we, as a family of missionary servants, not choose you know, to do that? I need kind of you to answer the question that I had to answer about four or five months ago in my journal. I need you to personalize it. It's not just, well, this is what our church is doing, so this is, where, this is just what I'm doing. No, like you need to personalize for yourself this circumstance. You need to personalize for yourself this step in the direction. You don't necessarily have to come to an answer. Now, this was over time for me. I mentioned this was four or five months ago. I was journaling this. I was thinking about this earlier than that. It's been a long process, okay? And one of the things that came up in the villages was a feeling where they kind of, one person felt like they already had to be there. One thing that I said to, was actually in, 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 in my village was, that's not what we, like, it's okay. Like, there's a process to this. Like, there's still two months before a merger would happen, Okay? 
And then on top of that, we have three months of, of, of an acclimation period and getting to know, you know, family church and build that relationship to see. And hopefully you'll come to the same conclusion that I have, that we're better together than we would be on our own. But I need you to answer the motives. Like, that's a motive question. Like, if able to do this, you know, with a better leader and a family with resources that uh, can accomplish things, the, the shared vision, then why would I not do that? And what's the real reason why I would not do that? And am I okay with my reasons for not doing that? Are they forcing a larger view of God, a big view of God? Or maybe it's a smaller view, controlled view, fearful view that may be motivating myself towards those actions. And just be honest about them. And then we can journey through them. We can think about them. And they may be valid. They may be good reasons. And we need to talk about those. Maybe they're reasons that just because they get voiced, because they get written down on a piece of paper, because they're things that we share with someone else that we trust, or you, you know, come have a conversation, buy my cup of coffee or something at Starbucks, that because of that, you can journey through some stuff and accomplish things that others have been unwilling to do because they get sidelined by these very questions, or they never voice them or never ask them, never think about them or honest about them. There's no place for fear. There's no place for selfishness. There's no place for control in the kingdom of God. Right? Would you agree with me? One purpose. And that's the king gets to determine the purposes in his kingdom. And his kingdom is Jesus. Jesus is the king, right? And as a result of Jesus being the king, then we submit to the lordship of the king. And we care about the things the king cares about in his kingdom. And he said for us to seek first the kingdom of God. That is our priority. His righteousness. And what? Everything else has been taken care of, right? We have to keep first things first. When first things are first, then everything else provides its proper order underneath that. The only reason that we are considering doing this is because I believe in kingdom math. I believe that one plus one is not equal to, I believe one plus one equals three. I believe that we can do accomplish more together than we could ever accomplish on our own. I believe we do the uncommon thing that's blessable by God when the uncommon thing is consistent with his character. For the next several weeks, we're, uh, I don't expect you to arrive at the same place I'm at yet. I've been going through this for a while. Okay? A leadership team, we've been discussing this for a while. But the first step to a healthy process is for you to answer that question and to consider, what would this look like for me? And am I okay with it? Am I okay with why I'm okay with it? And really being honest about it. There's patience with one another. We're journeying through this as a family. We're working this out. But the only reason to do it is if we can advance Jesus' mission better together than we can on our own. I'll be honest with you, and I've been honest with, with Jimmy, you know, Pastor Jimmy, Family Church. We've had this conversation before. And there was times where some things were going on in our church or happening in their church that we weren't, we weren't able to say we shared the same end result. We can now. We've both kind of evolved. We've both grown as churches, um, as pastors, because of our time together in many ways. 
that there is a shared vision, there's a shared inner result. As a result of that, we're able to do more together than we could do on our own. Again, more isn't always better. It's got to be the right kind of more. And in my opinion, this is the right kind of more. You see, when churches work together, we get a better return on our work. We're able to succeed. We pick each other up when we fall. We stay warm when things get cold. We're able to fight back when we're attacked. And I just want you to know, if there's been anything that's been true, the legacy of our church, and those of you who've been a part of it, is that attack is always coming. Always coming. And one of the tactics of the enemy is always to divide and conquer. It's not to unite and conquer. <laughs> and so let's use tactics against him. Let's honor Jesus above everything else. Let's keep first things first. And through that, see what God wants to do in and through us. Sound good? I really do believe we can do more together than we can do on our own. And as a result of that, that's what matters. Okay? Let's pray together. So, Father, we are in a position today where we are asking for you to give us leadership. We don't want to see things from our perspective. We don't want to see things just from our view. God, we need to see things from your perspective. We need a kingdom approach. We need a kingdom mindset. And we know that comes from you. You tell us in Romans chapter 12 that as we find our minds renewed, we're able to determine what the good and pleasing and perfect will of God is. And so would you allow for us through this season to lean in closer than we ever have? This is a discipleship journey. This isn't a, a merger journey. This is a discipleship journey. This is you doing something in us that we could not accomplish apart from this. You're active. Your Holy Spirit is active in our life today. And he is leading and guiding and directing us towards all truth. And so would you just allow for us to lean in a little bit closer? Would you give us the grace bubble necessary to block out some things and, and to be honest about our own concerns or apprehensions or even enthusiastic things that may not be centered in your best for us? Would you allow for us to consider kingdom math in this? Would you allow for us to be honest about where we are in this kingdom math journey? Are we willing to add our one to the list? Are we willing to trust you to link us up with another one that allow for us to be able to produce something greater than just two? That maybe, just maybe, the tide of this county will begin to turn because of our selfless actions and the gracious, generous actions you have a family church towards us. And so we ask that you would center our hearts, that you would center our minds around the best ways to advance the kingdom of Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for trusting us with this incredible opportunity that allow for us to be faithful. We can only do that if you're undergirding us, you as the faithful one. And I pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.